you brought a Bible, I'm going to ask you to go with me. Two portions of scripture this morning. We're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 53, and then we're going to go over into Mark chapter 5. So if you would, find those two parts of your Bible, and we're going to read in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, I uh, don't want you to panic. We'll have it up here on the screen for you in just a minute. Or you can look it up on your digital device there. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4 and Mark chapter 5 this morning. I'm going to be concluding our sermon series on This Changes Everything this morning with one more message which I believe the Lord has for all of us. And I'm going to be dealing with a very specific issue, very specific area of need in a lot of people's lives. I feel like the Lord this week reached into the uh, apothecary of heaven, that's the medicine cabinet, and he, he said, Isaac, this is the ointment I want you to pour upon my people this morning. So I want to deal with the issue of grief this morning, and I'm going to open up my heart as much as I can to share with you uh, how God can heal a grieving heart. But we read here in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Mark chapter 5 now, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed, he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come. And lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the word. I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might receive the word of God sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask you this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. You may be seated this morning. I feel that the Lord has drawn me this morning to speak about the subject of grief. We've dealt with the power of Christ to change everything in your life. And since Resurrection Sunday, we have been uh, developing this theme, which I hope has come to rest in your hearts as to the power of God over every situation that you and I might face in this life. We read this morning about a man named Jairus. He was an influential man in the city or village of Capernaum. Capernaum was the hometown or the headquarters of the ministry of Jesus. And so Jairus lived in the vicinity of one of the greatest men that ever, in fact, the greatest man that ever lived or walked on the face of the earth. 
Jairus experienced, as all of Capernaum did, the ministry of Jesus. Capernaum received more miracles and signs and wonders than any other village in all of the Bible. They witnessed Jesus casting out devils and, and raising the dead. They saw him do some extraordinary things. But none of this apparently brought Jairus, or Jairus uh, to Jesus. He was an influential man, a man of the synagogue. He was a man that uh, was part of the official body, the, the governing body. We could say the elders of the synagogue. And for that purpose, we know he had to be a man of business, a man of wealth. And he had no doubt seen Jesus in the synagogue before. Jesus had been, as was his custom, in the synagogue many times. But seeing him in the synagogue had not brought him to Jesus. But then suddenly a crisis arose in his life. A trial came up into his life that provoked such a need, such a desperation that his, his uh, grief and his pain brought him to the Lord. We realize that uh, there are many roads that bring us to Christ. There's only one way to God, and that's Jesus. But there are many roads that lead a man to Christ. Some of you came to Christ because of a, a, uh, a Sunday school teacher in your youth, or others of you came to Christ because of a youth group. Or some of you came to Christ because of watching Billy Graham on TV or maybe listening on the radio. You heard a preacher preaching the gospel. Some of you came to Christ in a jail cell, others in a hospital room. God uses many methods by which he can draw us to himself. And in this case, Jairus was drawn to God. He was drawn to Christ because of the provoking power of death. What the miracles could not do, what the signs and wonders could not do, what the testimony of Jesus could not do, grief did in the heart of Jairus. It made him open to the ministry and to the power of Jesus. And today I want you just to understand this, that whether you came by a Sunday school teacher or by a prison cell or by a hospital room, whether you came by an act of, of searching or whether you came in desperate crisis, what matters is you came. Say amen, somebody. What matters is you came to Jesus, and that is what makes the difference in your life, and it's what ultimately makes the difference in this, uh, uh, in this scripture that we're reading this morning. Jairus was confronted with the terrible anxiety and fear of death. It was not his own death he was worried about. He was worried about the death of his little girl. He comes to Jesus, and he says to her, my little girl... My little daughter is at the point of death. You realize, church, that you and I have an enemy that is so great and so powerful that it cannot be outrun, it cannot be outsmarted. Death is the most powerful enemy of mankind. There are cures for everything in this life, it seems. There are cures for all kinds of uh, predicaments. There are, are cures for social ills, but there is no cure for death. The Bible says that by one man sin came into the world and death through sin. And because death has come into the world, all have died because all have sinned. Death is that enemy of man that is not only powerful, more powerful than man, but he is a more final than anything else in the world. Death is so scary to us because of the finality of it. The fact that when someone dies, it's an over, it's an end for the appearance, uh, appearance of it. And so Jairus was dealing with this terrible crisis in his life. The, 
the foreboding of death. He was dealing with the grief that comes when you hear the news that someone that you love is going to die. I doubt this morning there's anyone in here who has escaped life without grief. I doubt there's anyone in here this morning who who has walked through life without ever losing someone or something that you love. Nobody in here, I bet, has gone without grief at some point in their life. And so if, if you've gone through grief this morning, I want to talk to you in particular. And maybe you say, Pastor, I'm not going through grief this morning, but maybe you are walking next to, beside, or along with someone that is going through grief. And I want you to tune in this morning because God has some important things to say about this, this trial, this valley that all of us have to go through at some point or another. First of all, let me explain that grief is a deep sorrow that is caused by, the, by a loss. It can be the loss of a loved one through death, but sometimes, uh, de- and most often, grief is a result of some death, but many times grief comes because of the loss of a relationship, a divorce, a broken marriage, or a lost dream. Sometimes people experience grief as they uh, process the, bro- the breakup of a marriage and the The adults in the marriage go through the grief of it, but also the children. Others still go through the grief of having built up a career and then lost the dream and and having to start over again. And it provokes a, a sorrow that comes into the human heart as you go through grief. And then still more and more common, that grief that comes as a result of death. Maybe the diagnosis of a terminal illness in your family or in the life of someone you love. Maybe You've stood by the graveside and said goodbye to someone that you cared about. Everybody goes through grief at some point or another. We are not shielded from the effects of death in this world. I wish I could say that when you give your life to Jesus and you become a church, uh, a church-going saint, that you're no longer going to go through grief. You're no longer going to have any pain. That's really not true, friends. Life can be difficult and it can be hard. And this enemy that you and I face is real and he is present and he's powerful and he's final in in the human perspective. All of life is spent fighting. The infant in the womb fights to be born. And then when he's born, he fights to get back in the womb. He's scared of this world. The child on the playground fights the bullies. The child, the adolescent in middle school, fights to find his identity or her identity in this world. The high school and college student fights the deadlines, the exams, and the quizzes. Then a man and a woman get out into the world and they have to fight for their place in the world. And it seems like we're always fighting, but there is a fight that no one wins because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after death comes judgment. And so we deal with death, and we deal with the grief that is caused by death. I know in my own family, we have gone through grief. We've gone through the sorrow of loss. In 2012, 2012, my mother was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And we went through a 14-month journey of grief. I saw her grieve. I saw her go through the process of letting this life pass and having to say goodbye and knowing that the dreams that she had 
uh, many of them would not be realized in her lifetime. And then came the day when the Lord called her home and we experienced the grief of losing our mother and my father losing his wife and our, my nieces and nephews lost their grandmother. We experienced the grief of the funeral service and you realize that the funeral service is the easiest part of the death process because there's people, there's singing, and there's food. We always have to have the food, right? Somebody thank God for the carne guisada. But it's when all that's over and the, the people are gone, and you have to go back to an empty house, a table with an empty chair, and you start to deal with the process of saying goodbye to someone you love. That year uh, that my mother passed away, we lost three members of our family, my grandfather, my uncle, and my mother. Then, two years later, we lost our father. He was called on to glory. And then a few years after that, just a couple years after that, I lost a couple of the closest men in my life. Uh, one of them was Brother Luciano Garcia. Another of them was Elder Martinez. And we've gone through this as a church. We've experienced the pain of grief. And, you know, grief is, is a process. It's not a straight line. Many times it zigs and it zags. There are days when you feel like I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm on top, and then other days you're right back down in that place of, of processing and sorrow, and you go through this process, and when you lose someone you love, we just keep plugging along because life goes on. The preacher has to keep on preaching. When I was going through the loss of my mother, I came and stood in this pulpit and preached every Sunday. As if I didn't have a sick mother. As if I didn't have a, uh, a, a uh, process of grief in my soul. And if you're a carpenter, you have to keep on being a carpenter. And if you are uh, in, in, in business, you have to keep on being a businessman. The world continues even though you go through grief. But under the surface, there is that healing process that needs to take place. And the reality is this, church, that our bodies heal much quicker than our soul does. If you break your arm in a few weeks with the right medical attention, you'll be, um, you'll be back on top. But the soul takes longer to heal. And if you're not walking with God, the soul can hardly ever heal. And yet, even in that state, there's a need for that healing to take place. I remember uh, a couple of times in the middle of the night from just a dead sleep where I would wake up and just be sobbing. I had no consciousness of, of sorrow. I had no consciousness of sadness, but my soul was in sorrow. My soul was in grief. And I think the, the moment that was most pivotal for me uh, was a moment when I experienced one of the emotions or, or phases of grief is anger. And I experienced anger. You, you look at me and you see Pastor Isaac. You see the smile. You see the cool, calm, collected guy. But I was like a duck. You know, the duck looks like he's, he's cool on the top of the water, but underneath he's going like this. <laughs> well, I experienced the, the, the process of anger, and I was dealing with an insurance company that was not wanting to work well with me, and they were not doing what I needed them to do. And finally I said, okay, thank you for your help. Goodbye. Hung up. I was... I was in, sitting in my Jeep 
in my driveway in Kennedy, and I was seething mad. And I had my hands on the steering wheel, and I put my head down on the steering wheel, and I said, God, I am angry. I am angry at this insurance company. And I am angry at my friends who didn't show up when I was going through this. And I am angry that you did not heal her. And I can feel this poison destroying my soul. I said, God, I need you to take your divine syringe and draw this anger out of me. And I, I said those words, and when I said those words, God showed up in the Jeep, and I just had an altar call right there in my Jeep all by myself because God took his divine syringe and just drew out the anger and the pain that was in there. And, and that is ultimately, friends, the cure to grief is that you and I, when we go through grief, we have to do what Jarius did. You have to take it to Jesus. Jarius is faced with the grief of losing his daughter, his baby girl. And he decides, I have nothing else I can do but take it to Jesus. Can I tell you, friend, that Jesus cares for you. And you can take him your grief and your sorrow and your brokenness. Today, the hymnist put it like this. He said, are you weary are you heavy-hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus alone. Are you troubled at the thought of dying? Tell it to Jesus. Are you yearning for Christ's kingdom coming? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus. He is the friend that's well known. There is no other friend like Jesus, tell it to Jesus alone. Still another hymnist wrote and he said it like this, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus, no, not one. There's not a friend who is there in the hour of your trouble like Jesus. This morning, he is inviting you to bring him your cares, to bring him your fears, to bring him your anxiety, and bring him your grief because he cares for you. The heart of God is open to your sorrow. The Bible tells us this. He himself bore our griefs and our sorrows. He has cared. He says in the word, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. I want you to notice how Jesus responds to Jairus as he comes to him and he says, my little girl is at the point of death. Will you come? Because I believe that if you'll lay your hands on her, she'll be healed and she will live. And the Bible simply says this in verse, uh, in verse 24, and Jesus went with him. I want you to realize this morning that uh, you and I can give our sorrows to Christ. But there's also this incredible promise. God says, I will walk with you through this process. 
I will walk with you through this difficulty, this moment of anxiety and grief and worry. God walks with Jairus and God walked with me and God will walk with you. I am sure of it this morning because God cares for you. Now listen church, God doesn't always take the problem out of your life. He doesn't always take the life out of your problem. Let that sink in. He doesn't always take the problem out of your life. And he doesn't always take the life out of your problem. Sometimes he allows you to go through. He allows you to go through the valley. He allows you to go through the storm. He allows you to go through the pain. He allows you to go through the anxiety. But he says, I will go through it with you. You will not walk alone. However dark the room may be into which your life causes you to walk, I assure you of this, God is walking with you in the darkest of rooms and he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why do I not fear evil when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death? What does the psalmist say? Because the Lord is with me and his rod and his staff, they comfort me. The promise of divine presence is yours this morning and it is yours for the asking. God says, I will walk with you even through your grief. Listen, church, grief goes through various stages. It goes through shock. I can't believe our marriage ended. I can't believe I lost that job. I can't believe my loved one died. And then there's a stage of denial. Some people go through moments when they think it's just a dream. It's gonna, I'm going to wake up. This isn't real. It's not really happening. And then there comes the phase of the wave of anger. And many times people uh, go through that process of anger and and others through outbursts of emotion. Some go through loneliness or depression. And can I tell you that God will walk with you through every single one of those moments. You know, I experienced depression when I was going through this grief process. And I didn't even know it. This is how it, this is how it came out. And I didn't know what it was until years later. I looked back and I identified it. I said to a member of my staff, this, this is what I said. I said, if God called me home today, I'm ready to go. I've done everything I want to do. Think about that. 35 years old, I've done everything I want to do. And it wasn't until a couple years later I looked back at myself and I realized I was grieving. And I was grieving so much that I was thinking that heaven was better than living here. And that, you know what, if God says, let's check out, I'm ready to check out. But you know what, I, I was going through that, through that process, and yet God was there. And if you will study your life, you'll discover that God is there every step of the way. You may have thought you were alone. You may have felt alone. You may have, it may have seemed like you had been abandoned. But let me promise you this, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
He wants to walk with you through this storm. He wants to walk with you through the crisis that you face this morning. He wants to walk with you onto the new phase and stage of your life. Because while those are sure parts of grief, let me tell you some other parts of grief. There's a part of grief in which you get new and renewed hope. When hope comes back into your life. When saying, God, I want to live in this world all that I can before I go on to heaven. I love the sweet by and by. I don't mind singing about it, but I've got some work to do right here on the earth. I have a family to love. I have a church to pastor. I have a world to save. Come on, somebody. There is still too much for me to give up and to move on. And that simple new hope comes in in the process of walking with God. And then there comes new strength. Listen, friends, it's true. They say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Guess what? If you will walk with God through these processes and these moments of your life, when you get out on the other side, it might not be sunny real quick, but when the sun shines, you're going to be stronger than you ever were. You're going to know how to pray the way you never knew how to pray. You're going to know how to believe in ways you never knew how to believe. Come on, somebody. You have renewed strength if you walk with God. And then there comes often stronger relationships and new relationships. God sends people into your life to build you up, to strengthen you. All of these things are the result of walking through it with Jesus. Jarius comes to Jesus, and now he's walking with Jesus, but then a problem emerges in the text. Say, uh-oh. Don't you just hate it when everything's marching along real well. I'm on my way to my miracle. Jesus is with me. I've given him my problem. He's carrying my burden. We're going to be at the house in just a little while. And then an interruption occurs. And the Bible tells us that there was a great crowd pressing Jesus. And while Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house... A woman <coughs> who had a 12-year, pardon me, a woman who had a 12-year hemorrhage of blood, she reached out and she touched Jesus. And the moment she touched him, the Bible says immediately the, her body was made well. Now, this is what's amazing about it because Jesus did not have to stop. She was already well. She was already healed. And so it's not like Jesus stops and delays Jairus' miracle because he has to help somebody else. The woman had already been helped. And I can see Jairus, at least if I was there, I would have been, I would have been like some of you who are in the waiting room. Jesus. I got in line early. I showed up first. I checked all the boxes. I, it's my turn, and it's my miracle right now. We do not have time for this woman. You, you think I'm playing, but you'll be surprised how people get pushy in the healing line. They'll fight over olive oil to anoint them, themselves for healing. So that's how people get when you get real desperate. And I can just see Jarius there thinking, okay, Jesus, I get it. The woman needs you. But here's the thing. 
Jesus didn't even stop to heal her. He stopped to chat with her and to say, who touched me? Jesus, this is not an emergency. I mean, imagine you're in an ambulance. You're flying to Corpus to get to a doctor. And then the, the, uh, the driver pulls over at the Circle K to get a, a fountain drink. <laughs> hey, I'm in trouble here. And here's what I want you to realize this, is that when you're going through grief, it seems like the whole world's going through it with you, but the fact is you're going through it alone. Because life goes on. People go on. They go back to work. They go back to school. And you're the one that's dealing with this problem. You're the one dealing with the pain of it. And, you know, if you've ever had to probate or, I guess, uh, close down some bank accounts or accounts for a loved one who's deceased, you know that when you're on the phone with the bank, they don't care that your mama died. They just want a death certificate. They want the paperwork. They have things to do. And life is like that. Life just keeps going on, and you're going through this grief process. But I want you to see here that although it doesn't matter to anybody else, it matters to God. It still matters to God. God has not lost control of the situation. There may be a delay. There may be a little bit of an interruption, but God has not lost control of the situation. He's still in charge. He's still in control. His clock has not stopped ticking. In fact, God is never late. I said, God is never late. You and I have a God who always shows up on time. And he shows up to deliver us from our trouble and from our fear. And so when it seems like nobody else cares, don't apply that to God. God cares. And God is concerned. And listen, listen, church. God can chew gum and walk at the same time. Say amen, somebody. When we get in trouble, we're the only one in the world in trouble. But you know, God can do it all at once. Now, the second thing I want you to notice here is that when you're going through grief, you need to get a mindset that says, I need to be a blessing to somebody else. It's not all about me. You see, when you, when you and I are going through grief or pain, it's the temptation is to just focus inwardly. To sit there and just think about woe is me and how bad it is for me and what I lost and what I'm doing without. But the fact is that you and I, if we will just turn that around and look around to see somebody we can bless, somebody we can help, that we will find that we become a conduit for blessing and for healing. And as healing flows through you, it heals you. I remember having a conversation with Elder Martinez before he went on to be with the Lord. He said, he said, Pastor, I was sitting in the dialysis chair, and I was unhappy. And I was depressed, discouraged. And then he said, I said to myself, oh, no. Now, if you know Pastor Brother Martinez, you know that. Oh, no. I'm not going to sit here and just let the devil win. He said, so I picked up my phone. And I started calling people that I knew needed prayer. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about somebody that's going through their own trial, their own test. But he found a secret. If I'm going to get out of this thing with victory, I'm going to have to turn this thing around and use the same gun on the devil that he's trying to use on me. And I'm going to be a blessing. Come on, somebody. I'm going to help somebody else in their grief. 
in their pain. The Bible says this, trust God and do good. That's Psalm 37. What does it say? Trust God. Say it with me. Trust God and do good. Listen, when you're going through a trial, you got to look at the trial and just say, God, that's in your hands. I'm going to go do some good. And I promise you, while you do that, healing comes. It's when you isolate yourself and you close all the doors and you draw the curtains and you sit in a dark room by yourself having a pity party and grieving over what you've lost and what you have don't have and what you don't think you'll ever see again. You're missing an opportunity to live life at its fullest. Because listen, God can make the wounded whole and God can make you a blessing and that thing that seemed like it would be a, a noose around your neck can become a, a, a lifeline to somebody else to bring deliverance in the name of Jesus. Come on somebody, you have more power than you think. You have more power and more anointing than you think. Now the next thing I want you to see here is that Jesus says to him while he's panicking here, don't be afraid, only believe. Jarius, you've got to believe me. You've come to me. You're walking with me. Now believe. Why do we do this? Why do we go to the doctors and tell them our problem and then we get mad at them and gossip about them at the house because they don't know what I really need. And he told me I can't eat tamales and tortillas anymore and I can't have any more rice. Why do we go to the doctor and then don't want the cure? If you're going to walk with God, if you're going to give God your problem, guess what? Believe him. Trust him. Let him handle it. Come on, somebody. He's God. He knows. He knows what to do. And he knows what he's doing. Somebody said that this morning. God knows what he's doing. Now, some of you said it, but you don't really believe it. You said, Lord, I don't think you really understand what I'm going through right now. Listen, God knows what he's doing. Now, the final thing I want you to notice about this little scene is that God's delay does not mean God's denial. Just because God has delayed the process doesn't mean that God has denied the answer that you're seeking. And right now, you and I are living in the delay. We're living in the delay between death and the resurrection. And in the meantime, we've got to learn to trust God, to believe God, to do good, to be a blessing, to walk above the circumstances of our life. God's delay does not mean his denial. And right now, you and I are living in that delay. We're living in that age in which the, the power of death is greater than you and I. Let me tell you, friends, Jesus is on the way. I said Jesus is on the way. Jarius brings Jesus into the house. Would you do me a favor this afternoon? When you leave church, take Jesus with you. Say amen, somebody. You know, when I was a little boy, I got left in church twice. <laughs> My parents forgot me at church. I have no hang-ups or emotional problems about that, but I was left in church twice. But guess what? Tonight, 
today when you leave church, take Jesus with you. He takes him home. And Jesus comes in to the room where the little girl is, and she's dead. It took too long. The delay was too long. And you see the dead, lifeless, helpless body of a 12-year-old girl. Now, if you understand theology, you know this, that she has gone beyond the veil. There's a veil, an invisible curtain between life and death. And when you go to the other side, you don't come back. Death has claimed another victim. Death has reared its head in this household, and it has proven its power and its finality. And this little girl's spirit has left her body and has gone into the bosom of Abraham, into the place of repose for the saints of God in the Old Testament. Listen, the, the Old Testament saints, they couldn't go to heaven right away because Jesus hadn't been to the cross yet. So they went to the bosom of Abraham, awaiting the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, he brought those saints out of the bosom of Abraham and into the presence of God. So when you and I die, we're not going to purgatory. We're not going to the bosom of Abraham. We're going to heaven. Say amen, somebody. This little girl was in the bosom of Abraham. Jesus had not yet been to the cross. And there she was in, in that place of repose with all of the saints. And then all of a sudden, she heard a voice. And it was the voice of Jesus. And he said, little girl, I say to you, arise. Now, if that had been the voice of Pastor Isaac or the elders of the church or Billy Graham or anybody else, that voice would not have brought her back from the grave. Because when you go beyond the veil, you can't come back. But I told you that this changes everything. Jesus changes everything because Jesus has authority on this side of the veil and Jesus has authority on that side of the veil. And he said to her, little girl, arise. Way back there in the bosom of Abraham, she heard her name called. The Bible said she came immediately to life. And her dead, lifeless body was restored. She got up on her feet and began to walk around. And you can imagine the joy of that house. When this little girl was not only not just, not just sick, but she was not dead. She was alive because of the power of the voice of Jesus. Listen, church. You and I are living in the in-between, the in between death and the resurrection. But a day is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to be joined together with them in the clouds. And we will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Let me tell you, friends, Jesus has conquered death, and he has made it temporary and not final. He is Lord of lords and King of kings over death and hell and the grave. And this morning, he says to you, 
bring your grief to me. Bring your sorrow to me. Let me walk with you. Let me go with you through every room and stage and care. Believe me. Believe that I'm good. Believe that I care for you. Believe that I have a plan for your life. Maybe you're dealing with an illness today you can't find a cure for. And God has not taken the problem out of your life and he hasn't taken the life out of your problem. But he wants to walk with you. Maybe you're dealing with a broken heart over a broken marriage or lost relationship. Bring it to God. Maybe you are grieving the loss of someone you love. Bring it to God. He cares for you. And if you'll trust him with your pain, if you make him Lord of your pain, he'll come in and he'll heal and he'll restore and he will renew so that you too will be able to stand in the assembly of the righteous and say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for the Lord my God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say amen? amen? Let's stand together this morning. I want to make an invitation to you. If there is a need in your life, if there's grief in your life, will you bring it to God this morning? Will you make Jesus Lord if he's not Lord of your heart, make him Lord of your heart today. And if he's not Lord of your grief, make him Lord this morning. He's the healer. That's what I want you to do. This altar is open. Every person in here that has a need, any need at all, great or small, doesn't matter to God. Great or small, you bring it to him. He cares for you. Would you come? Would you just put it in God's hands? Would you just believe him? Believe him for your healing. Believe him for your transformation. Believe him for the salvation of your children. Maybe you're dealing with the grief of a son or daughter in prison. Or hooked on drugs. Come to Jesus. Give it to him. You're not alone. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. The Bible says Jesus went with him. 
And someday somebody's going to be reading your story. And this is what they're going to read. Jesus went with her. Jesus went with him. Come on, will you just accept and receive the Father heart of God this morning? God's heart is open wide to you this morning. The power of God is present to heal.